Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. There are a few interesting puzzles raised by the topics of knowledge, episteme in Greek, and perception, eisthesis in, in Greek, in Aristotle's categories, chapter 7, where he is discussing the category of relation, the prosti, the things or the terms that exist or have their intelligibility in relation to something else or from their relation with something else. Now, why do these puzzles arise? The first of them happens when he is talking about correlative terms, and he suggests that we tend to think that when it comes to these correlative terms, these terms that are understood in relation to each other, they denote things that come into being at the same time, like father and son. You know, a father is a human being. Well, let's say if, you know, if we're not talking about other animals, right? So we've got a human being, but he's not a father until he actually has a child. It doesn't have to be a son. It could be a daughter, of course, right? But some sort of child... So parent and child come into existence as such at the same time. Aristotle says there's an exception to this, and the exception would be something like knowledge or, similarly, perception. Why is that? Well, because the knowledge of something, and I've got this of here capitalized to note that we're talking about a relative term, knowledge of whatever it happens to be, knowledge of chalk, right? And its properties and its relations to each other. Perception, likewise, you know, you can perceive the chalk. You're perceiving it right here on the blackboard through your visual sense. You could be, I suppose, you know, hearing it as it clinks on the chalkboard as well. You can't really feel it through the camera or smell it. We don't have anything like smell-o-vision, but you, you get the point with perception, right? These can exist but they're dependent on something else. And so like Aristotle is going to say, they're dependent on some sort of object of knowledge or perception. And that object can predate them. As a matter of fact, you could have, well, let's take a book, right? You could have this book existing. Imagine everybody dies of a plague, right? And this book is sitting there waiting for some alien civilization to come and discover it. And let's say that they actually, you know, can read English and, and ancient Greek on the facing pages. And, you know, they've got all the things for that. Well, they would be ready to have knowledge of what's it contained in this book. Likewise, they could perceive the letters. They wouldn't even need to be able to read it, right? They could perceive these squiggly black marks on the white thing. But if there's nobody to actually do the knowing or perceiving, then you just have something that is knowable or is perceivable, and it, it exists, right? So it can precede it, and it can exist without knowledge or perception, you know? Close the book, put it away. I'm going to throw it down the stairs, throw it down the trash chute. It still exists regardless of whether I have access to it or not. So he says, it seems that the object of knowledge is prior to and exists before knowledge. We gain knowledge, Aristotle points this out, generally speaking, of things that already exist. And, and, you know, he doesn't go into this, but it's interesting to consider this as well. We gain knowledge, typically, us, the kinds of people that we are, not just of things that we encounter for the very first time. We might say that for perception, but knowledge, a lot of our knowledge is actually 
actually gained from somebody else telling us, here's some knowledge, we're passing this on to you. I mean, classes, lectures, all this sort of stuff. Aristotle's whole corpus is, is knowledge, presumably. And he is providing it to us and then we, we take it in, right? So it was around before us. So the knowledge is a relative term and the knowledge would be say of what Aristotle is teaching here. That would be the other correlative term. So he goes on and he says, in very few cases or none can our knowledge have come into being along with its own proper object. Most of the time that we come to know something, to have knowledge about it, it's at the end of a process where we had to learn it. And what we're learning about existed prior to our knowing it. So he says, take away the object of knowledge or perception, he's going to say this as well, and the knowledge is removed. It's canceled out. Take away the thing that's actually being known. There's no more knowledge. So he says, if the object no longer exists, there can no longer be any knowledge. There being now nothing to know. And we might get, you know, a little bit technical about this and say, well, what, is, what does he have in mind here? Well, if we talk about states of affairs that we know to be the case, that makes a, good, a lot of sense. If we take those away, we no longer know those to be the case. For instance, a statement like, it is day. Right now, when I'm filming this, it's actually dark. But perhaps when you're watching this, it's, it's now light wherever you happen to be. So you're like, yes, it is day. Well, how do you have knowledge that it's night or it's day? Well, you might say, well, you go and find a window and look out or walk around. And that would be quite true. You know, the, the statement expressing the knowledge, sometimes it's the case, sometimes it's not. When it's no longer day, you don't know that it's day. That doesn't satisfy all that much. This is admittedly a place where it starts to get a bit murky in Aristotle's categories and raise some, some questions and problems. We'll come back to those in a moment. So he goes on and he says... You can say the same thing about perception. The object, he says, would be prior to the act of perception. Suppose you cancel out the perceptible, you cancel the perception as well. I think that one makes a lot more sense. You could bring up cases and say, well, wait a second, what if I'm hallucinating and I think that I'm perceiving something that's not actually there? Aristotle would say, well, there you go. You think that you perceive something that's not actually there. You're not actually having perception as such because perception is of something. So the way that he's using perception there would seem to answer that problem. He says, the act of perception involves or implies first a body perceived and then a body in which it takes place. So if you remove the perceptible, body itself is removed for the body itself is perceptible. Body not being existent, perception must cease to exist. So take away the perceptible and you take away the perception. But taking away the perception itself doesn't necessarily negate the objects. Again, let's use the example here. Green book, right? I'm perceiving it. Now it's behind my back. Okay, I am perceiving it because I'm feeling it. So let's, let's put it down somewhere, right? Now I'm not seeing it, not touching it. My other senses aren't involved. It still is there. It still exists, right? I haven't done a magic trick and made a poof vanish and go away. It's still there waiting to be perceived. Should I turn myself around and aha, there's my book, right? But I'm not currently perceiving it when that happens. So the perceptible can exist sometimes before the perception or after the perception of it no longer exists. But now it's not being treated really as a relative, is it? 
It's just be treating it as an object, which then could be perceived potentially. So like I put here, strictly speaking, both of these knowledge and perception are of something, some sort of object, and they're also in or by something else, namely the knower or the perceiver. Right? This is a classic example. We think back to categories, chapter two, where Aristotle is distinguishing between what's predicated of a subject and what's in a subject. He talks about knowledge as being in a subject that is in the mind, right? But it's knowledge of something so long as we're thinking about it in terms of relation. The last thing that I want to say about this that is particularly interesting, and that probably raises some puzzles that I think people may not be entirely satisfied with Aristotle's treatment because he's not really telling you much about it, is this. At the very end of chapter 7, he starts talking more about knowledge. And he tells us that knowledge can be of correlative terms or things. How does he talk about that? Well, here's what he says. If a relative is definitely known, right, there's knowledge of it, then that to which it is relative also will be as definitely known. So if we, to use the examples that he has, he actually says this is this is you know, pretty self-evident. If we know a particular thing to be relative, relatives being those things whose very existence consists in their being in some way related to some other thing, you know what that other thing is to which that thing is related. You know child, you know parent. You may not know what color the parent's hair is or something like that. But if you know that there's a child and you know that that is a child, you know there has to be a parent because of that correlative term. It doesn't mean the parent actually exists, but you know there has to have been a parent if we're using the concept in the term child. Similarly, if we we call something double and you say, well, double what? Double the size, double the duration. Once we actually have that other term, now it's all completely clear. We have knowledge of that. So knowledge is not just of a object. Knowledge can be of the relation between different things as well. He has another great example here that I love. If you definitely know a particular thing is more beautiful at once, must you definitely know that than which it is reckoned more beautiful? It doesn't make sense. Let's say we take an animal, right? And we're, you know, at the cat show or something like that. And, you know, for those of you who go to those sorts of things, my example may be totally off base because I I only judge by the little snippets that I've seen on TV and YouTube videos that I've had to watch on occasion about this, this sort of thing. It's not, not really my cup of tea, but as far as I understand it, judges say, well, this cat is more beautiful than this cat. They even assign numbers based on things. And again, I have no clue. Maybe it's based on their fur and their how their eyes look and how their ears are, you know, whether they're clean or not, or how their nails are. We don't have to worry about the, those particulars. But if we're saying that this is more beautiful, more beautiful than what? than all these other cats, or this cat is more beautiful than that cat, or this cat is more beautiful than the painting of that cat hanging in the study. We use these terms correlatively and we can have knowledge of these correlatives, not just the knowledge of the thing in relation to it, right? The object of the knowledge, but knowledge of how two different things are in fact related to each other. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.